The first two weeks of this sermon series, looking at Jesus through the lens of his trade, we really focused on how it was that Jesus treated other people that he came into contact with during his life and his ministry. We talked a lot about how wood in the first century was a very scarce resource, and so a carpenter had to be willing to use all of the scraps when he was building something or making any sort of repairs because lumber was so hard to find Before going out and buying a new piece of wood, he had to be willing to look around his shop floor and see if he had something in his shop already that he could make work for the job. And we talked about how we can see through Jesus's life that that led him to have a really keen eye for seeing value and purpose in people that others only saw as the scraps of the world. We see this in who he called to follow him, and we talked about all of that the first couple of weeks. And then last week, we made a little bit of a pivot away from talking about how Jesus treated people as a result of his trade, and instead started to look at some of the teachings of Jesus, trying to listen not just for the voice of our Messiah, but also the voice of a carpenter. And so we're going to continue that this week, looking at a teaching of Jesus where I think we can pretty easily see the perspective and hear the voice of a builder, of a carpenter. So we're in the Gospel of Matthew, and I think most of you will find this parable that Jesus tells here pretty familiar. But it's Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. This just sounds like a carpenter, doesn't it? I mean, to me, it just, it's like oozing builder and carpentry from this parable that Jesus tells. No matter what it is that you're building, first and foremost, you have to have a foundation that can support the structure, right? And that you believe will outlast whatever it is you're planning to build on top of it. It's like you don't have to have any knowledge of construction or of carpentry or of building anything to know that the foundation is literally everything. This parable is found at the very, very end of Jesus's longest and most well-known sermon that he preaches in the Gospel of Matthew, something that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And so you saw him at the very beginning and in the middle of the parable saying, everyone who hears these words, these words of mine, those words that he is talking about is the whole sermon that he has just preached over the last four or five chapters of this Gospel. And so it makes sense to me, at least, That this carpenter, right, that his mic drop moment at the very end of his longest teaching would take us all the way back to his roots and his trade. 
When we hear Jesus saying this and saying this to this original first century crowd that was following him at this point, I think we need to know that the terrain of first century Israel really just provided two options for where you could build a home or really where you could build any sort of building, whether it was a business or a structure of any sort. You could either build it down in the valley or you could build it up on high ground. And as you can imagine, building a house in the valley was pretty simple and it was pretty straightforward. Hundreds and hundreds of years of wind and rain had pretty much completely leveled the valley floor and it had filled it with sand and gravel from runoff from the hillsides all around it. It was easily accessible. It was already level, and it was pretty much ready to go once you showed up on the site to start building whatever it was that you were planning on building. Building on the high ground was much, much more difficult. The hills were mostly bare rock. And so first you would need to find somewhere level where you could build. And if you couldn't find somewhere level where you could build, then you were going to have to make somewhere level where you could build. And remember, this is 2,000 years ago, so we're not talking about bringing in heavy equipment and explosives. We're talking about hand tools, right? Trying to level out a shelf of solid rock so that you can build a home on the high ground. And even if you could find a natural level slab of stone up on the hill to build on, then when you were building, you would have to carry all of your tools and all of your supplies all the way up to the hill or at least strap it on the back of a donkey or a mule or something right but you get it there's a whole lot more that went into building on the high ground not to mention if you signed up to live on the high ground then you were saying yeah for the rest of my life I want to carry water I want to carry food I want to carry furniture. I want to carry firewood. I want to carry everything that I need. I know that I'm going to have to carry this all the way up to my home. So it's no surprise then, right? I mean, obviously, of course, lots and lots and lots of people opted for that easier course with where to build their home. And to be honest, houses that were built on the valley floor, they could serve a family really well. They could last for generations as long as the weather cooperated. But whenever it was that a heavy storm would roll through, and it might kind of take a chain reaction, it might have had to have been a heavy snowfall in the hills and an early thaw coupled with a lot of early season rain that was unexpected, but eventually, eventually, that valley floor would flood. Jesus here is really just using something that everyone would have known that lived in that area. That if you build your home in the valley, you just know that eventually the rains will fall, the floods will come, the winds will blow, and the houses that are built on the sand, the houses that are built on the valley floor, most of them are not going to last And you're going to have to rebuild your home after that storm blows through. When you venture into the world of home buying for the first time, you learn a lot, like a whole lot. I learned a whole lot the first time that I ventured into the world of home buying. A friend of mine lives in Texas. He's He's a pastor at a church in Texas, and we talk really often about sermons and teachings and ministry, and uh, we just really build each other up and and serve as, as a team for one another. 
And I was telling him about this teaching, and he was like, oh my gosh, man, this reminds us of when we were house hunting in Fort Worth in a home that we almost bought. And he started telling me a story that I'm betting a lot of you can probably relate to if you too have have walked in a house trying to decide if this is going to be the home for your family or not. He and his wife had decided that they wanted to move so that they could be closer to the church that he was working at. It was going to cut down their commute by like 45 minutes, and most of their friends lived in this community that they were trying to get into. So they started looking, and sure enough, pretty early in the search, they found a house in the area that had been on the market for a while, so the price had dropped a little bit, and it looked perfect. I mean, it looked perfect. It was going to cut their commute down by like 50 minutes. It was like 10 minutes away from the church, and they loved the area. I mean, it was everything that they wanted, and they could not get on the list to go and step foot inside of that house quick enough. And so they go to see it, and he was just talking about how awesome it was. Because it's in Texas, he said it looked like it had been renovated by Chip and Joanna Gaines. And you know, watched that show, Fixer Upper. So he was like, there was white shiplap everywhere. The kitchen felt like it was a barn. I mean, and they just loved it. It had just been repainted. There was new appliances. There was these cool modern fixtures everywhere that the homeowners had replaced. It was an open concept, just like they had wanted. He even said it had one of those fancy clawfoot tubs. Oh my gosh, who can resist a clawfoot tub? And they were sold. I mean, they were ready to put an offer on the house. They were like, this is it. This is our forever home. This is everything that we have been looking for. Their agent, not so much. Because instead of looking at the cool modern fixtures and the new appliances, she walked in and noticed that the floors looked like they were a little bit uneven. And that when you walked into the garage, you kind of got the smell of mildew a little bit, like it never really was able to fully dry out. And so she did a little bit of digging and she found a recent foundation inspection that had been done on the house and the results were not too good. (laughs) They were pretty bad. The engineer actually recommended that the homeowners completely demo the house and re-pour the slab. His note at the bottom of the inspection report was that legally they didn't have to demolish the house, but that ethically they should. And instead of doing that, what did the homeowners do? They renovated. They put in the fixtures and they replaced the appliances and they blew out some walls and opened it up, hoping that a young family, just like my friend, would walk in and be willing to look past all of the issues and say that this is the house that we want. But that house was useless. I mean, really, it was. Because it sat on a crumbling, shifting, unreliable foundation. And yet, there was even still pain in his voice when he was telling me the story. Because they still wanted it so bad. Even knowing all of that, it was still hard for them to walk away from it because it just looked so perfect. Here's the thing about Jesus telling this parable, right? And and I think you know this. He's not really talking about building a house. He's talking about building a life. And there's all sorts of broken foundations that we can build a life on. 
Things that look nice, but things that we know deep down that they aren't going to last. And you know what they are. I don't have to tell you what they are. It's stuff like your careers or or wealth or status or the stuff that you have, the stuff that fills up your home or fills up your garage. All of those things look nice, and there's nothing inherently bad about any of it. It's so tempting, though, to root our lives on those things and to use it as our foundation, But when the storms come, those things crumble. When we face those really hard seasons of life, when things get real for us, when we're faced with unexpected circumstances, whatever they may be, when we are reminded that we're not actually as in control as we thought we were of our life, we learn all over again that we can't just lean on those things, that all of those things are just fleeting parts of our life, that they're here one second and that they're gone the next, that none of that stuff can actually hold our hope, that it's really all just sand. I think what makes this tough for us to hear and tough for me to hear is that for the most part, I think we know what the sand is. I think deep down we know what we should be relying on and what we shouldn't be relying on. Because when you hear that story of my friend almost buying that house, you know that he would have been crazy to buy that house, right? I mean, of course he would have been. It would have been a terrible decision. It would have been a terrible financial decision. It would have set them up to be in a really, really bad spot if they had actually gone through of it. My guess is that none of you would buy that house. None of you knowing what we know about the foundation would think twice about walking away from that house because you know that it is just going to continue to crumble away. And if that's true, if that's true that that none of us would buy a house with a faulty foundation, then why on the world are we willing to live a life that is built on one? If that's true for that house, then why in the world would we choose, if we know, why would we choose to live a life built on sand when we could be living a life that is built on the rock? I would love to stand up here and tell you that my foundation at all times is rock solid, but it's just not, it's just not true. I don't think that's true for any of us if we're being completely honest with ourselves. I build little and big houses on the sand all the time, right? I get sucked into my career. I get consumed with what people think about me. I place my self-worth in who others perceive me to be. I wonder whether or not folks like me. I wonder if people are impressed by me. And then I catch myself tempted to live my life based on those things. But I have to remind myself, that all of that is just sand. I'm betting that if you're like me, that you too have places in your life where you have knowingly chosen at times to build your life on sand. Places where you have laid your foundation on the sand, knowing good and well that there is a perfectly good piece of rock laying right over here. And I think that's why it's so important for us every so often in the season of Lent is a perfect time for all of us to do this. But it's so important for us to stop and look down 
to look at what it is we are standing on. What have we built our foundation on? Where do we find ourselves this season of Lent leading up to the cross, trying to prepare our hearts for the hope of the resurrection? Where are we standing? Are we standing on the rock or are we standing on the sand? Because the hope here is that no matter where it is you find yourself right now in this season of life, it is never too late to build on the rock. It's never too late to build on the rock. I learned a lot this week about the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You can tell I really went into the whole foundation theme, right? I'm trying to do it big. It was our last, last uh, week of this series. But I learned a lot about the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I went to go see it in college, and I didn't even know what I was looking at. But I did a bunch of reading on it this week, and it's kind of a crazy story, y'all. It was built in the 12th century, the late 12th century, so it's almost 900 years old, first of all. And surprise, surprise, it was never meant to be a leaning tower. I, I don't even know if I knew that, but it was never meant to be a leaning tower. When they built it, it was supposed to be straight. And over the last 900 years, it has just slowly but steadily begun to lean more and more and more to one side. What happened is that right after they built it, built it one side of the foundation began to sink. And so the tower just slowly began to shift. And finally, folks began to really get worried because they realized the tower was moving in such a way that it was probably going to fall by 2007, is what they guessed. And so there were two attempts to try and make it right. Both of them failed, but they were expensive, and and they actually just kind of ended up making it worse instead of actually stabilizing the tower. But finally, in 1990, a big group of structural engineers came together, and they finally did it right. It took them 30 million euros and about 10 years to complete the project, but they're now saying that the tower is going to last for another 200 years. And it's actually beginning to self-correct and kind of straighten itself back out. It's never too late to correct our foundation, ever. It's never too late. doesn't matter how long we've been built on sand, right? It doesn't matter how much our tower is leaning. We can always choose the rock. We're never too far gone to reevaluate where it is we have planted our life. But in order to do that, hear me out, right? In order to do that, we have to be willing to look down and acknowledge the places where our foundation is failing us, where we have built our life on sand. Maybe it's our relationships. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's our families. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. Whatever it is, it is never too late. It is never too late to build our lives on the rock. And it may not be easy, like those first century builders. We may have to level out a shelf of rock, right? It may, it may take a little bit of work. We may have to carry all of the building supplies up to the high ground to ensure that we put our lives somewhere that will last the length of time, just to get everything in the right place. But we can trust that if we do that, it will last. Hear that again. When we choose the rock, When we choose Jesus, when we choose to root our lives on the foundation of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, when we do that, we can trust that he will last. 
that he won't leave us, that he won't abandon us, that he won't forsake us, that he won't forget us, that he won't crumble. We can trust that when we root our lives in him, that instead he will give us something that will never, ever fail us. And for me, I find tremendous peace in that. I I really do. I find a massive amount of comfort in knowing that if I am willing to build my house on the rock, that if I'm willing to build my house on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for me, that it will never crumble, ever. That no wind, no rain, no flood, nothing can blow that house down because of where it lies on its foundation. My hope for us this morning as we get closer to Easter, because y'all, we are, we're getting closer to Easter. And as we begin to wrap up this spiritual season of Lent, of preparing and and of expecting what we're going to find in that empty tomb on Easter morning is that we would take just a second, just a second to, to look down and to see where it is that we are standing, to check ourselves and to see what it is we've put our hope in, what it is we're relying on. Maybe be willing to examine our lives and be honest with ourselves with where we feel like our foundation is beginning or has been for a long time failing us and that we would hear that good news this morning that it is never too late to build our house on the rock. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.